Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mick. Hello. Can How you are you? I can hear you. I can't see you. If you, flip oh. your, if you flip your camera on as well. Hang on. Hang on. Start video. Oh, hang on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Start video. There you go. There you go. Yes, mate. Glasses on and everything. Looking very <laughs> professional. Ready to go. Yeah, Cheers to you, mate. On. Good to see you, man. How are you? My lovely. Are you How on your you? boat? I am indeed. Yeah. It's um, still here. Hasn't sunk yet. And you get good Wi Fi on that thing, do you? Yeah. Yeah, we get good Wi-Fi, um, um, and uh, I've just got a new girlfriend, so I'm really happy. Lovely. Uh, yeah, it's all good. Dude, I wanted to just dive straight in to the deep stuff, because I was thinking about our friendship over the years, and we haven't oh, spent yeah. many times together, but the ones that we have, for me at least, have been extremely memorable. Um, and I remember... Tell me if you remember this. As far as I'm aware, the first time you and I met was in Germany. And it was yes. a press trip for a Volbeat show. It's like an, oh, out, yes. an outdoor big amphitheater. Airborne was supporting, who were good friends of mine. Oh, I love Airborne, yes. They're the best. The best oh, dudes, yeah. best live bands, best people. Airborne um, released in DC. Yeah. And so at that point, right, I... I had been told that I was being let go by Kerrang because they were closing the station and they were going online only. And Tony Cook, in, in his supreme generosity, is one of the nicest yes. and, and best people in the business. He said, Matt, seeing as how you know, you're going to 
be out of work soon. Why don't you come on this press trip? I know that you won't be able to do any press from it because you won't have a platform, but just come on the trip and have fun and it'll be great to have you along. So he basically brought me out there just as, you know, a nice gesture. Um, that's the kind of guy he is. And that's when we first met and you and I, everybody else went home to bed. I don't know if oh, you yeah. remember, I don't know if you remember this, but you, you and I wound up, I think it was in white trash. But where did we wind up? I'm not entirely sure. I think but, um, it was that bar white trash in Berlin. Yes. Yeah, and, no, it could have been. Yes. And we were up till say five or six in the morning, right? We were up. Well, till I wasn't the... sleeping that night. I have to say, and I had to work the next day. Not only work, you had to go and shoot the GQ awards. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. That's your fault. (laughs) Well, this is what I was thinking in relation to that story and from what I know of you. You know, and that night I was so impressed by your stamina. Um, I was like, "This, this guy... I saw a kindred spirit in you. I was like, this guy's full gonzo. Like, he, he lives... And, and breathes it you know he's the real it's, deal it's all um, I've done for 30 years yeah and um to be honest with you i wouldn't do anything else um and i've met and the reason why i wouldn't do anything else is i've met some of the most wonderful people i've ever, you know in my life um purely by you know staying up until five o'clock in the morning <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean from being taught how to line dance by Shania Twain. Now that's a story. Um, Mate, I'm sure you got stories wow. for days, and we're going to wow. try and get I we're going to try and get into as many wow. of them as possible. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she taught me how to line dance. Um, it was just you know those mad little things that happen. Um, you know, all being on Aussies two of us, um, watching Aussies swear at dogs. <laughs> Because they're shitting all over the two of us. Um, things like that, you know, um, little moments of, you know, when it is my time to go, um, I'll have a couple of grins. You've led a life that's full, man. Um, and, you know, I'm really, I'm happy to hear that you wouldn't have it any other way because what I've learned in my lifetime. Um, is that the the fun is fun, but it does sometimes come at a cost, and it does take its toll on the wear and tear sometimes. Uh, two, um, two wives, two ex-wives. Uh, yeah. Relationships suffer, your mental health suffers as well, doesn't it? Oh, totally, it does. It does, and um, you probably know this, I had a little bit of a funny thing that went on. Um, but you know, you you find your space and uh you know through meditation and giving up alcohol like i know you have done um and giving up everything else um really really made a change in me and uh i'm very happy now that's great man and you seem like you're pretty you know content just from looking at you on the zoom it's always hard when you're not in a room with someone to gauge their aura but, you know, there's a glow, and it's not just the sunlight behind you. Yeah, it's not just the sunlight behind you. That's my own personal sunlight. <laughs> well, let's let's go back to the start, mate, and, and kind of trace your journey. So where does photography 
begin for you because you know there's a few people i'm not going to mention any names but there's a few well-known photographers um who i think just kind of had the fortune to be at the right place at the right time and have had yeah. the right access yeah. and their photos aren't actually that impressive um well, for me you're an artist and your work is incredible and some of the photos you've taken are some of you know i think the finest portraits and live shots i've seen um so where does your interest in the art form begin oh well, um, I was an oilman. I worked on an oil rig, and uh, and uh, it's a desperate way to live your life. Trust me. And uh, I, I was always been an artist. I have, I'm from a family of artists. I mean, you know, my my great uncle was in Ronnie Scott's band. My mother was an ice skater. My grandmother was a um dancer and uh, also the first um female photographer in the first world war wow that's um, amazing um and so where did you grow up mate you're from south shields right i'm from south shields yep. from from the city of uh, sarah milliken and the wild hearts don't let them tell you they're from newcastle they're not because they grew up ginger grew up in the street behind me so that's not true. <laughs> yeah, I've spoken to Ginger about South Shields before. I think he's he, you know, he's proud of that fact. Well, we should be. It's a tiny little place, and we have had everybody from, you know, all the bands you can probably think of to Formula One teams to everything coming from this tiny little place. And you know, the people in South Shields are very proud of where they live. And um, they're very proud of um, that little, tiny little village that's on the banks of the Tyne. And, uh, yeah, there's some great people come there. So how do you wind up on the, the rigs? Is it because opportunity wasn't exactly well, no, varied and all that? It was, it was quite well, really simple. I mean, um, I was uh, um, I was sent away at school because obviously my parents hated me, um, but, <laughs> and I went to up and I became very posh and all that kind of stuff and I went to Gordon's and uh, and I started doing a uh, petroleum engineering degree and uh, this was obviously not going to be the thing for me so I dropped out of that that was imperial and I dropped out of that and. Um, the next thing I knew, I was on an oil rig um, to try and sort my head out, which just kind of really validated the point that I really didn't want to do this. Um, so I then um, picked. So sorry, the oil rig was almost like a rehab stint for you, was it? Like to very figure... much so. Yeah, yeah. it's like um, it was great fun. I mean, I'm not say I'm not going to say anything bad about it because I love all getting covered in mud and pulling heavy things out of the ground you know i love it but um anyway i uh while i was on the oil rig i sent a letter to bournton pool college of art and design which is possibly the furthest place i could find away from aberdeen at the time and uh, i got in um on the strength of the letter or what do you think it was the letter and the interview um it was like three people for every thousand that got in and I just came in. I didn't even have an auto level. Right? I had nothing because I was mass physics, chemistry, biology. You know, that was my thing. Um, 
but um, on the strength of what I'd done before, because I was always being a, I was always a photographer. You know, I was always interested in photography. I was always interested in hand-drawn art. I was always interested in the history of art. So I kind of put myself a little portfolio together and I went down there. And uh, I remember the guy who allowed me in, um, there were people there who had studied art their entire lives, you know, from very posh schools and all that kind of thing. And um, he said, uh, we're going to have to have the oilman. <laughs> I'm going to have the oilman because I was just like, I wanted to do it, you know, I knew I could do something. Um, you were obviously a bit of a curio for them as well, right? Do you think there was an element of that at play? Like Maybe they were, <laughs> yeah, maybe they were chancing their arms slightly. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was very much a case. I knew I could do this and um, I knew I had a lot more, there's so much stuff going on in my head. Um, so I, did the degree of photography, film and television. And then I was incredibly lucky to um, meet up with a guy called David Redfern, who was probably the greatest jazz photographer this Britain has ever, Britain has ever had. And um, that's where I got to go on, take pictures of um, James Brown, B.B. King. I was looking at some of those photos earlier today. Chuck Berry, James Brown, B.B. King, unbelievable. So that was some of the first... Celebrity shots you took. Very first. Very wow. And then I moved on. Did you have any one-on-one time with any of those guys? I had um, with Herbie Hancock. I had a I had a day with Herbie Hancock, which was amazing. Um, So there were all these like greats that I was just kind of hanging around with, and it. um, I was very young at the time, so you know. And of course, David was the master at that. How Um, did you two meet, Nick? what david and i yeah um well that was um <laughs> this is 100 true i um while i was at college uh there was an advert in the british journal of photography that david wanted an assistant so again just like i did um when i was on the oil rigs i sent him a letter and he invited me in and i became his assistant Wow. Just goes to show, man, I've always been a big believer in this philosophy with my career as well, is if you don't ask, you don't get. Ask and you will receive. And even if you don't receive, at least you tried. Well, yeah. And you know you tried. I'm a pretty good letter writer, though, I think. (laughs) Yeah, persuasive (laughs) journalism is a skill of yours. (laughs) Oh, journalists, so don't get me started on them. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you know, know, Mick, that I'm not one of them. I've never labelled myself as one of them. I've never identified as one of them. (laughs) Um, So are you instantly enamoured with the art form? and with? Because I I know, right, another day that we shared together was a download one year. And again, it was in a seemingly kind of like quite desperate time in my life i always seem to have you know hung out with you when i've been in a a low place but i was drinking a lot that day and i remember you kind of you took me under your wing and we did a shoot your paint off you actually yeah well you you were giving me some vodka as well straight from the bottle some russian vodka have this have this instead yes (laughs) (laughs) and you took some photos of me but i just remember the way you kind of shaped me as as your subject and made me feel comfortable and good about myself like you have a really innate ability which you've obviously cultivated over the years and you're no doubt aware of this but 
from my point of view, having that brief exchange with you in that situation, there's this skill that you have where you bring out. I, w- I would say I'm completely unaware of that. Right. Well, that's what makes you great, man, is you have this ability to make the subject feel great about themselves and comfortable uh, and just like show off their their best qualities, which is obviously what photography is about, isn't it? It's capturing the, the essence well, of the human spirit. Yeah, yeah, this is this is the essence, I think, of what I do is. Um, uh, unless you are that person or you can empathize empathy um empathy with a person and um good or bad mm-hmm. um you'll get the best out of them in fact you'll get the best out no, i don't do it to take a photograph I, I i i kind of do it because i like them or they like me and and then the photograph or the magic happens it, you don't you can't go in there and just think i'm going to do this and push them around stuff like that you have to be become part of what's happening and then um then generally you you become invisible and you can do whatever you want yeah it's a beautiful thing and you know interviewing isn't the same but conversations and, and connections is really what i live for with my work and there's an element of that i think to photography as well which you've just sort of alluded to there is well the pho- forming a human bond with this person the end game you know the, the taking the photograph is the end result um you can't get what you want unless you've done all the other things first and you know there are times you know touring japan with bon jovi or something like that where i was invited out to kind of really raucous nights um where the journalist wasn't um but i wasn't going to take my camera i was just part of the the fun at that moment um and then you could say a couple of days later you're sitting on a bullet train with bon jovi and he's talking about his wife and he's talking about this and you're taking pictures yeah but it wouldn't have happened if i hadn't you know, um, left my camera at home the night before. Yeah, because you connected outside of work on, yes. a, pers- on a personal level. In a and then when we way. knew we had this thing to do, um, he was very, very, he was so cool. And he was, he was fine about the whole thing. And he was, he was, you know, he was going through a tough time at the time. And uh, yeah, we, we just got on. And uh, I hope, um like i did with lemmy that time when i was going through a very bad time has to be said and uh he spotted it you know and uh yeah it's one of my favorite pieces of all time is when a lot of people think oh that photograph of lemmy is me um interrogating him about his life and you know that that look on his face is um because of what he was saying uh-uh, it was completely the other way around. He was talking to me and asking me questions. And that, if you look at that picture again, he's actually thinking about what I've said and is coming up with his view on it. It was, wasn't 
me asking him, him asking me. I never got to spend any time with Lemmy, which is one of my great sad, you know, regret. I, I guess regret maybe would be the right word. But yeah, you um, you got to spend so much time with him. How was he as a human? Just a great, great guy. Just the nicest, gentlest, very gentle, uh, totally gentle. And I still think to this day, um, my greatest, probably not my greatest picture, but one of the most meaningful um they used it um uh, you know when someone is buried and they have a picture at the end of the coffin um that was the picture so that meant a lot to me yeah that's huge you know that that really is everything isn't it and as you say i i, I know when people ask me what's your favorite interview it isn't always you know the one which is maybe objectively the best but no. it's the one that you I mean, remember the most fondly. That. I've got pictures of people say, oh, this is, you know, but I think certain things. Like I always say, and I will tell anyone that everybody says, oh, you captured a real moment with him. No, 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 I didn't. He was asking me the questions. That's the sign of what kind of man he was as well, right? He had that ability to recognize that there was oh, totally. pain going on mm. within you. So can I ask you quickly, Mick, when does the... When do you start to notice that you have struggles? Were they always there or did they no, it's surface a, over time? It is a terrible thing. Yeah. Where, <laughs> yeah. um, they creep up on you. Um, and you do have to take a step out every now and then. Uh, not before a few arguments, which you will probably have with friends and colleagues and work colleagues and things. And then you take a step out and um, you decide to change your life. And I'm really happy now. You know, it, it, one of the funny things about giving up these kind of things is that you do these things to be part of the crowd and to blend in and to be all of this music industry bollocks. I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to say that. Am I? But, you know, um, and then you realise after a little while of, I mean, not being a part of it. I mean, COVID was a great thing. It, it meant I couldn't I couldn't do what I used to do and so I decided during that period of time to just give it a lot and you know I remember walking away from the boat because I live in a boat as you know um walking down the bank plank and I felt really happy and I hadn't felt happy for so long and it was great but I'll never forget that moment walking down the gun plank feeling happy it happens, doesn't it, when you haven't felt that way for so long. I've had similar moments. And just the the high that you have from being alive and excited about life well, is it's just a, it's good just as any drug. you felt for so long. Yeah. You know, I mean, you drink to be happy. You take drugs to be happy. But you weren't. You were taking drugs and, uh, and drinking because you weren't happy when you are you just don't need it anymore. yeah yeah sober's the new high <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what though um you must have had some amazing parties and experiences over the years and there's far too many to list in one show i'm sure um but one picture and a, i guess a story that maybe you know surrounds it 
it's one that flashes up all the time and i'd love to know the sort of the series of events around it is the i guess it was the metal hammer awards you're in like a jeep or a limousine or something oh with yes and it's dimebag daryl nikki six Billy valo was nikki drinking at that point oh they will yeah i mean yeah. i would i would have assumed that Billy and dime would, would have been yes. going for it but it was desperate. I mean, to the point that um, Nicky wanted to drive the 40-foot stretch hammer through the middle of London. It was just not going to happen. Um, and uh, then Dime, um, we had champagne glasses and champagne and stuff in the back of the thing. And um, Dime then started to rip up the leather seats with a broken champagne glass. Um, I mean, poor old Villiers, who's the sweetest man in the world, just, he was off his tits. But I mean, the fact is, he didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> it was great. You know, I mean, Nicky obviously doesn't drink, doesn't do anything anymore. Um, and is still, I think, one of the, I could speak to him, if you know what I mean, you know, if I needed to about something. Um, sadly, that time has gone. He was always off the chart. Um, was he? <laughs> wonderful soul, such a sweetheart. And really is just, well, he's just, he's just really, I mean, you know, nothing affects him. <laughs> you know, he's, he's like Superman. <laughs> um, but it was a great day. Um, we originally were driving to a park um, to do some shoots, uh, a shoot outside the uh, Hummer. But in the end, that all went a little bit wrong. We just decided to drive around London, which is why we were two hours late for the Metal Hammer Awards. Amazing. And are you cutting loose with them as well? Are you joining in on the fun or are you documenting it? No, I was started to document it. And then it all became, in fact, some of my best pictures when I was possibly enjoying it a little bit too much. <laughs> Especially when they were started throwing champagne glasses around in the back. It was just all great. But... Yeah, we were two hours late for the Metal Hammer Awards. Love Maybe it. One. Got lost. I'm sure <laughs> you didn't miss lost. much. <laughs> um, what about Rick Mail? Uh, he, for me, oh, my, was my, my absolute hero. hero. My hero. You see, I have a, a video. Remember those videos? Um, VHS uh, tapes. VHS <laughs> tape um, of Kevin Turvey. Because um, he used to do a thing before he was, really before he was famous, called Kevin's Ear. And um, anyway, I bought one of these things way back in the day. And uh, obviously, young ones and, um, you know, the all the other things he done, you know, Alan Bastard and all those kind of things. He was always just a massive hero of mine. I've even got his um, signed autobiography. <laughs> Bigger Which than I Hitler, thought, better than Christ. Oh, God. <laughs> what if a title. I could have the guts to have an autobiography bigger than Hitler, better than Christ. Unbelievable. That. <laughs> but um, I went to meet him and, and uh, we did this great thing in this. Um, so those photos that you often share of kind of him sat in the theatre chair and that day, was that the first time you'd met? No, no, it was the second time we met. But right. the first time, you know, you couldn't get a sensible word out of it. Because um, Aid was there as well. And it was just, I mean, it was just like watching the TV. You know, um, and I I come up with this idea. That was for the meal on Sunday. And it was for the cover. And 
I had asked Rick to um, be serious. And of course, that's just, just not going to happen. Um, but, but, um, I noticed he was smoking all the time. And we went down to the little cinema area in this private men's club where you could smoke. And I said, I bet you can't blow a smoke ring. So he was concentrating. And I drew in the cigarette and blew the smoke ring. And I'm watching it and I took the photograph. That's None of this is Photoshop. That was on film. So, you know, I like to do, I like not to do much in Photoshop. So... You can see that in your work as well, you know, because you can, I think, see those heavily edited, highly digitized style. Yeah, you can. I mean, there used to be a guy called Keith Drummond who worked on Q magazine and Select magazine. And um, his little, you know, speciality was spotting what was shot in digital and what wasn't. And he could do that. You know, he was a brilliant art editor. He could just spot it. Anyway, so he did this smoke ring and he's looking through the smoke ring. Of course, then he burst out laughing. But that one moment is him being serious and concentrating. And I love that photo. He seemed to have real depth as well. Um, he did. He was, he was a guest presenter at my university graduation day. Uh, and he did this incredible speech about how you only need five things in life. And, you know, he was listing off, like, essential life skills. And the last one was love. And he was like, all you need is love. Uh, yeah. You know, and he was saying things like all men, are, all men and women are created equal, so no one is your natural superior, and things like this. And he just, you know, he he, he seemed like man. he had so much heart. Yeah, he was a very, very deep man, and um, and I almost sometimes used to think that his comedy was it's a bit like me sometimes when I I explode up into some sort of random thing about the universe and the metaverse and all that kind of stuff i'm just covering something up which is um i don't really understand and and i think he used to do that as well um he would go out into this enormous you know he would suddenly you know like during the photo session we would do all this stuff and then immediately he started dribbling out of his mouth and just like looking like an absolute trout it's like why are you doing this it's just I think he that was just his reaction to to stuff um these um, are all like walls that we put up aren't they because i think people with big hearts are often scared of opening them uh, you know and revealing them and and exposing them no well, i think comedians are the worst for that yeah yeah i mean like robin williams would be a classic example of, of that and obviously and robbie williams we won't even talk about him but anyway. <laughs> is he is he a good guy robbie no, <laughs> my lawyer's here. <laughs> no comment. Let me ask you this real quick, Mick. Like a while back, I did notice, uh, you know, and I I recognised what was happening because I've I've been through similar situations myself, and I feel like if it's okay me saying this, I hope you don't mind. There was a, a while where you were posting certain things on Facebook just to poke the bear and kind of you know and just for your own amusement get a reaction out of people and i saw it pissing a lot of people off and i found it amusing because well i think a lot of people don't have a sense of humor but i also think they also think they're a lot cleverer than they are and um so it probably wasn't the best period of my life well yeah i mean that's what i was gonna say is it was clear to me that you were only doing that because there was something hurting inside you because you know i've been there and i know well, i hadn't been you know 
it's one of those things. People think of me as a photographer. They don't actually know anything about my background or any of the things I've studied or interested in or maybe have qualifications in or anything. Um, and, you know, some journalist has lived in his bedroom in Leeds for the last 17 years. Sorry. And I did. And I, that's, that's a terrible thing of me. And it was, yes. I felt. I don't like think it was that. terrible. I don't think it was terrible. I think it is an indication of how um, delicate people have allowed themselves to become. Well, yeah, because even at, the, 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 at that time, it was, uh, if somebody had come back with a funny comment, how exactly. Would yeah. But they just didn't seem to do it. And there was a couple of years where I just fought with people. Um, but it wasn't because I didn't like them or anything like that or didn't respect them. Um, I just think maybe they weren't maybe involved in their own shit. Yeah. And I also think, you know, there's a reason why a lot of artists and people who you shoot like you. Um, and I think that in the music industry, when you get on well with artists, a lot of other people in the industry get jealous of that fact. Very much so. And so, you know, they get their backs against the wall with almost anything well, you it, do because they're like, what, what, who does he think he is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's a, a really lovely little story about uh, Mike Oldfield. And I went out to the Bahamas, Mike Oldfield, uh, to Bimini and um was shooting him and um we had a phenomenal laugh and then we went out swimming in the sea i was holding my camera above my head and uh to keep it out the salt water and stuff and he he was wearing a gold lame set of speedos which is amazing right <laughs> he started jumping out of the water throwing his hair in the air anyway hands in the air and it was brilliant and uh we had a, such a laugh and we came back on, and, and the journalist wouldn't go in the seat. Um, obviously, because he spent most 17 of the last years in his bedroom in Leeds. But anyway, <laughs> he wouldn't come out into the sun. Sorry, that's a terrible thing to say. It's but kind anyway, of true, though, you know. <laughs> it's kind of true, isn't it? <laughs> so, so he came out, and um, he was interviewed, and he came back, and he walked back back up to me, Michael Phillip, and said, um, I don't think he likes me. I went, why? I went, just don't think he gets it. I went, what? You've made the same album for seven times and you're a multimillionaire. <laughs> what doesn't he get? And he burst out laughing and we went for a swim. But that was Amazing. the exact thing the journalist hadn't got. Yeah. Yeah, I think there, um, as a as a as a type, there is a type of, of person that is drawn towards that profession, and very often everything has to be a critical analysis. You know, when sometimes it just really isn't that. And I think when you live life and you're an experiencer of life, and you go out there and and you know get stuck in, and you're actually a part of the action rather than you know con deconstructing it and analyzing it. Yes, um, analyzing it. Don't analyze it. Be a part of it. You know, why would I be in this industry if I wasn't a part of it? Yeah. If you I, know, some, sometimes better, to, to detrimental effects, but it's about living it, isn't it? Yeah. If I thought I was better, I wouldn't be half as good. Um, there's so many people I want to talk to you about, but I want to quickly ask you this as before yes. we kind of reel off a bunch of names. When you 
are a wild man like you are and you make certain oh, changes not anymore. I'm just when, when you make certain changes in your life um does the light creatively dim down or do you find that the interests just shift and change and actually your creativity is as vital and you're in tune with it as ever i am always one second away from getting overexcited so no <laughs> i mean yes i can yes i obviously like everyone else over the last couple of years thought oh this is all rubbish you know why are we doing this anymore nobody cares but it only takes you know one thing and i'm a couple of seconds away from being overexcited again so no i still love it have you ever done a book like a photography book i was going to um the big book of heavy metal it was going to be um with a good friend of mine um but now I'm actually starting to think about doing a series of books because, um, like I mentioned, James Brown and B.B. King and Diana Ross or beforehand, and I've done all of those. So I thought maybe I'd do a... Remember those old days when you used to buy encyclopedias and little part books? I thought I'd do a genre set. Yeah. And I could do blues and jazz, um, dance and techno. I mean, you could do pop. You could do all of them. I can do them all because I could even do classic. I can even do classical. Um, uh, Chiri Kananawa, I can never bloody say her name. And, um, and uh, the three tenors and all of that. I've done all of those and spent time with all of those. So, from that to Iron Maiden, to Slipknot, yeah, to uh, James Brown, to Tiesto, and to you know maybe people like the Spice Girls and uh, oh the one thing I really missed out on to be honest because I was too interested in glam rock at the time <laughs> a lot of it was yeah. you love glam um, rock don't you oh God, no, no shame out of me arse. there's no shame in that <laughs> um but um i missed out kind of on the Durani side of things although i did get to shoot them later but all that side of things like that's the one period i missed out on really. adamant and duran duran and well, police yeah, and all the, yes all of them i was too into poison cinderella motley crude um nothing else existed in my life at that point <laughs> you like what you like though right and you're drawn to what you love and, and and the range of subjects you have worked with is amazing um so michael jackson yes i mean it doesn't get bigger than that so well, how many times did you work with and shoot him and and what was your experiences with uh, him like well i sh i shot him many times live but only shot him once off stage. And um, it was a very short photo session, which was basically comm commandeered by the PR. I wasn't allowed to speak to him. I wasn't allowed to ask him to do anything. I wasn't allowed to um, introduce myself to him. I was not allowed to do anything of those. So the first thing I did is walk up and say, hello, Michael. Uh, <laughs> 
very first thing I said. Amazing. She's a, and you could see the uh, PR's head about to explode. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the reasons, many reasons why I love you, Mick. This is great. And then he, uh, he went, oh. And I said, actually, no, that's not, that's not quite true. I said, hi, Mick. hi, Michael, I'm Mick. He went, Mick, that's Michael. I went, yeah. And he giggled and he shook, he shook my hand. Meanwhile, PR's about threw herself off a cliff. And then we started taking some pictures and he had these big um, um, mirror glasses on. I said, oh, could you take your glasses off? To which you just heard this, no, behind, just as he's touching the side of his glasses. And I actually think that makes the better picture. So that's the one. But yeah, it was a very short photo session, and he is literally taken from one place to the other. It's well, was I a, say. B- a bizarre but, life. But you know, who knows? He might still be alive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, I mean that that's one of those stories, isn't it? That's just layered in tragedy and strangeness. Oh, he was in very tortured, and I don't believe any of the stuff that was said about him. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, I, having met him. You get a vibe for people. I just don't think so. I mean, you know, um, I met um, Jimmy Savile many years ago. And you got a straight up vibe for him, I'll bet. My arms went cold. 100%. I met him in a school and uh, my arms went cold. I didn't get that feeling with Mark Jackson at all. That's wild. Yeah, Savile's just straight up the devil incarnate. <laughs> he just told everybody he was, and nobody was bloody listening. Yeah. How? What was the first gig for you that kind of broke you, if you will? Like, was there one job or, or shoot? Yeah, well, for? there was, definitely. It was, um, I'd done, I remember doing Diana Ross for the front cover of the Sunday Times. And then uh, that was the last job I did for David Redfern. Um, and then um, um, I, I, I met a couple of people at, um, I think it was Select Magazine at the time, um, Andrew Harrison. And I think my first job was to go out on tour with U2, um, which is brilliant. Because what, what time frame was this? Like this their kind of 80s down, heyday? or uh, Probably Zoo TV tour. Right, wow. Um, and... Um, the brilliant thing about that was because Bonnie was born on the same day as me. And uh, we went to this restaurant in Arizona. Um, and um, for his birthday. And I kind of mentioned just someone next to me and it kind of went around the table. It was my birthday as well. And you two stood up and sang me happy birthday. Amazing. Those moments, man, on tour especially. Oh, yeah, that's when the, the, com- next day, the camaraderie really comes to the, the floor, next day, it? the manager at the time, who I forget what his name is, well, I should remember, but yeah, I'm, I forget what his name is, called me into his office, I thought I was in trouble. And he came in and they'd um, got me a selection of things from the merchandise store for my birthday. An inflatable this, you know, a T-shirt, and this, that, and the other, just presents. It was really nice. And they were great. And... Um, you know, you're sitting in the top of a hotel in the Four Seasons, something like that, with the edge, and you're both in matching robes. <laughs> <laughs> Watermelon. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Yeah. They were yeah. 
they're the moments, man. They're the moments that make it. You know, when they're so removed from like reality and day to day, like well, they had the quote unquote normal before life. The four seasons, you know, and with um, people coming in with plates of watermelon, and I'm standing there in a, a bathrobe with the edge in the same bathrobe. <laughs> Stupid. Right there. Do you miss being on tour and, and going out on the road for extended periods of time with bands? I did. That, that's a young man's game right there, it's isn't it? It's a young man's game now. I will do a few dates and I will concentrate on the portraits and I will try to create something. But I'm not going to jump on a plane for the next three months. No. Done your time. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the inside of too many buses. How about David and I Bowie? I never sleep the right way in a bus either. I always get it wrong. I, if I'm not asleep before the bus takes off, I find it impossible to get to sleep. <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, I've got a friend who's a bus driver, actually, a tour bus driver. And he, he, he's got a little room. This is 100% true. He's got a little room downstairs um, when he comes back from tour next to the refrigerator. <laughs> right, so it hums and... Gives it's him that only, comfort it's of the only, road. Yeah, he's got a little cot and a little sex the red fruit it, and it's the only way he can get to sleep for the first few days he gets home. I mean, that right there is a window into the insanity of touring. Well, um, because because bus drivers um, have a little room sleeping above the generator. Of course. And so when he got home, the only way he gets to sleep is to sleep next to the, the, the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> How is David Bowie, Mick? Uh, gentleman. gentleman. Did you work a lot with him? Not a lot, not a lot. But every time I did meet him, it was um, he was too cool for school. You know, I mean, um, just so desperately cool. <laughs> Effortlessly. Effortlessly, yes, yes. And he was always dressed immaculately. I always wish I'd found out he was Taylor. He's dressed immaculately all the time. Did you shoot the Freddie Mercury tribute gig? Yes, I did. That's got to be one of the best shows of all time, right? Uh, well, yes. I mean, with Axl Rose and Elton John coming out hand in hand, which is one of my favourite pictures, um, was amazing. And then again, George Michael, you know? Yeah. I mean, my word, he could have stepped into Freddie's shoes. What a performance. Were you one of the main, if only, photographers shooting that? Was you yes, know, is, is, yeah. that was exclusively your gig, was it? No, it wasn't exclusive my my gig. There was other photographers there, but I did get a lot of access, and I did get to shoot the whole set of every person, same as I did in Rock and Rio. Um, I managed to wangle my way to do the full set of Prince and the full set of Guns N' Roses and the full set of all these different people. Um, and Wham, actually, strangely enough, we were talking about George Michael. Um, so that was great. And also, I was I was staying in a a little hotel. I mean, all the bands were staying in this beautiful hotel on the front of Cabana Beach. And I was staying in a hotel that literally had a machine that dispensed condoms outside of it. <laughs> Just next level, isn't it? Next level. <laughs> <laughs> how about this is one of my favorite shots that i've seen of yours um and i've had jazz on this show and he is he's like a jester oh, and a philosopher to his manager yesterday carla's great 
She's awesome. But the yeah. shot of him in the hat with the cigar is an amazing yeah. photograph. That was shot in Hyde Park, and we almost got arrested. It looks like it could be from, like, the Victorian era, you know, it it, could, everything you know, about it. Um, we went for a walk in Hyde Park and just to take some pictures. And I'm taking pictures, and this police car comes up. And uh, I was quite young at the time, so... Um, and they said, you can't take pictures in Hyde Park because you haven't got a, a license or a permit or something like that. So Jazz pretended to be a, a school teacher and I pretended to be the student and we were just working out a couple of things. And then we went away and had a massive laugh and got drunk in the book. That's amazing. So if you do do a book, Mick, or a series of books, you should definitely incorporate the stories behind the photos with the photos. Well, yes, I would. Um, Although I'm incredibly lazy, so I might have to just tell them to somebody and you can you could write them for me. Mate, I'll help you, mate. It would be an honor. Let's talk seriously. Let's talk about it, because I think from just the few that you've explained to me, like those moments that you capture, there's more that often than not an amazing story behind it. That's, you know, so much more complex than just a simple point and shoot moment. To a certain degree, I can't stand this digital age where somebody goes in, shoots it and comes out. And then everyone see the person. Um, I had two, three days beforehand getting to know them before I took the photograph. And I think if I'm going to blow me on trumpet, which I often do, but uh, that was that's what made the difference for me anyway. That's what made it enjoyable for me. Yeah, it's all in the prep. It's all in that kind of you know the groundwork that you lay. Well, I was speaking to um, yesterday, he left me a really lovely, lovely, lovely message, Benji from um, Skindred. Yeah, love him. And um, he left me a lovely message because I'm sending him a picture of the, the thing that we did where we hired the A-team van. Yeah, I know. Um, I remember the shoot. <laughs> I, and the, uh, we had smoke bombs and I got an AK-47 and an M-16 and I put them in the back of my car. Um, so I had an AK-47, an M16, and a bunch of smoke bonds. And this is when the, um, the whole IRA thing was going off in London. So I'm going through checkpoints thinking, fucking hell, don't look in the car. Don't look in the car. <laughs> but, so, <laughs> we got to this place, and we hired, hired the 18 van. And it was probably one of the last, as he says, he left me such a lovely message, saying that was probably the last time we'd ever done a shoot without Photoshop. It was just all there. We had the van. We had the smoke bombs, we had the machine guns, and we did it. And, uh, yeah, he left a lovely message on Pants from yesterday. He's the real deal, Benji Webbers. And, yeah, like me, you're a, you're an analog man in a digital world, I think, Mick. <laughs> oh, Obviously, sorry, we're Mick. doing this over Zoom right now, but, you know, that's just that's been a, an actual, like, enforced necessity in this time. But if given the option, you know, it's it's old school every day for me. Um well, strangely, uh, some of my old pictures um, I'm giving to a friend, uh, Roberto, who is, uh, he does platinum printing. This is like 1950s, 1940s, 1950s style printing on platinum paper. Um, so they're going to be very, and everyone turns out different. You can't, you can't just mass produce them. So he's going to take a few of my images and he's going to work on them and print them, print them on platinum prints. And I'm desperate to see how they're going to turn out. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? So let me ask you about this. This is the, the this is the whole other side of the spectrum. But 
Do you have any thoughts on this new NFT revolution? I've been asked. Because some of the stuff that you have, for one, I'll say, is the the thing of Tommy and Nikki swinging above the fire. Oh yeah, like that the, is aching to be an NFT right there, and I don't even know what they are really. But <laughs> well, I don't. To be honest, I am. Um, I've been asked to put them on it, and I've not done one yet. But um, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, people pay you for money for just having it on the screen. It's not paying you for a screensaver. I don't know, but yeah, um, but that's that. One else is in interest because I had the that's called a cinemagraph, right? And so the the flames are digital, but they move and they crackle. And I've got them. You know how I sh- shot that picture? It's an inverted picture, right? Because basically, I just had Tommy and Nikki bend over as far as they could backwards, shot the picture, then turned it upside down put them on a couple of chains of the thing and put some fire underneath it. So it's actually, I've just told you the story of everything. So I've done that, but I didn't, I mean, that's basically <laughs> I've got them bending right the way over. My God, they can bend over. I'm telling you, for the, you know, and they were literally almost bent double over backwards. Took that shot, inverted it, put some chains on them and then put some fire underneath, but it works. But yeah, that's, that's been asked for an NFT and so is the Aussie and so is the Lemmy, but I would never, I don't think I would uh, ever do the Lemmy in it. Aussie as an NFT, I don't think. No, yes. Not as I know more about it, anyway. Certain certain ones are off limits, right? Motley Crue, fair game. Fair game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they would admit that themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They'd be the first, the first to admit. Um, I have to ask you about Kurt Cobain. Yes. How was he as a as a man? Um, well, I was on stage with him at Reading when he came out, and he's. Uh, you did that show, did you? The famous yeah, was it ninety one, ninety two? Came out in a wheelchair, um, and I was standing on the side of the stage for that. Yeah, what a moment! Was he yeah, cool? Yeah. He was just sweet and lovely, very quiet. Yeah, I didn't like his uh, girlfriend at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine. I had to pour three coffees backstage <laughs> because she couldn't physically put the cup underneath the coffee machine. It's dark, isn't it? When it gets to that level, it's dark. Mm. And and you see the ugly side of of fame and of drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God I'm not there anymore. <laughs> it's a bit of a morbid question, this, but I'd be interested to know. Um, has there been someone that you think you've spotted like just the biggest waste of talent because of that? 100 percent i'm not going to tell you who it is yeah okay but like there's a name in my head right it's just heartbreaking isn't it Mm. absolutely heartbreaking do you drugs came before the music and i think the drugs came before the music right at the start and then they got kind of famous for the music and then they could afford better drugs it was always going to be gone downhill from there do you ever practice mick like, do you ever just go out and shoot to practice like, you know, a musician would, would practice? Or do you always want to be with a subject and, and only really shoot when you're doing it for I mean, real? I, I mean, you know, I keep my arm in, you know, I keep my hand in um, doing stuff. Because if you don't, you do forget slightly. Um, but no, I kind of work off 
the person that's in front of me. And look, if you can't take pictures, like the thing is, if you're not obsessed with cameras, shutter speeds, apertures, this, that, and the other, you should know that. That should just be, you know, um, you know, suck your finger, put it in the air, and go, well, that's F8. You know, I mean, it should be natural. So when something comes, you're working with the person and taking photographs. You're not thinking about what the camera's doing. If you're thinking about what the camera's doing, you're not doing what the photographer should be doing. And the photographer should be talking to the person in front of them. I like that. I've got a camera and I'm looking to get into photography, Mick. I'd love to come and just study and shadow you one day if you're well, ever, you if you're ever open thing. to have a little nuisance assistant around. Oh, no, absolutely. But I will, I, will, <laughs> I will do something that I do to people, which is um, I take their lovely brand spanking new digital camera with their lovely screen on the back. Put it in the put it in the drawer and give it an old one. No, and what I do is I tape over the screen with a bit of masking tape, um, and I set the whole camera on manual, and you have to go out and take thirty six shots because only ever thirty six shots on a film, and um, you're not allowed to look at them until they come back. Amazing! That sounds great. And then you'll learn how to take pictures. Wow. Okay. You in Brighton? Is that where the boat is? That's right. Yeah. I mate, I'll come down. That's all right. Yeah, we'll go out for the day. We'll come down, chat about doing some so writing. And... Look through a viewfinder as opposed to looking at the as we're nodding, looking at the screen. Look through the viewfinder, create the picture. Because remember, back in the day, we used to. Um, God, I sound so desperately old. But um, back in the day, we used to um, shoot negative and use filed out carriers. No, no, I don't know. Anybody knows what I'm talking about here, but you used to have a and a larger and the carrier used to think you hold negative in but if you filed it out you could get the little black line around it right and so that was a full frame picture so whenever you look through the camera you were taking a photograph full frame so you you basically edited designed everything through the lens through the uh, the viewfinder and the lens yeah because the image at the end was going to be full frame so that's another thing. I mean, people take pictures and then they recrop them in Photoshop. Why don't you just take a picture in the first place? Sorry, yeah. I'm getting a um, but, you know, do that. Um, then they use, you know, Lightroom to change the exposure. Well, if you're shooting on, neg on transparency film, which is a third of a stop latitude, and you've just traveled halfway across the world, do this and come back, you ain't got a chance to you know change it so it's very few things and you know photography is easy you know um, it, it's just a very small amount of maths and a lot of opening your eyes and conversation and if you get those three things right you can it doesn't matter what you've got in your hand and the conversation and the open of, of eyes and mind part is my whole attitude and approach to life and what I love the most about meeting anyone, you know, whether it's in a professional context or just on the street, you know, going to buy your groceries or whatever. People are what make me excited about what I do and um, working with... Exciting. Every single person has got a story. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, the other show that I do with Jesse from Killswitch Engage, we have on listeners as guests on the show and we just chat to them you know, for about an hour, an hour and a half sometimes about their life, 
And some of the most fascinating stories we've heard have just been from, you know, listeners of the show who've gotten in touch. Everybody's got one. Everyone has one, you know, and never forget that, you know, um, you don't know what's going inside, going on inside someone, no matter what they're showing on the outside. What's left for you, Mick? Are there any things, you know, with well, someone like you who's done so much, is there anything left that you'd still really love to do, either creatively or personally? Or Yeah, I'm working on something quite interesting now, which is um, a collaboration between a couple of artists, um, The Postman and Paul Stavely, um, who are different kind of artists. One's a, The Postman's kind of a bit like Banksy. He's a street artist. And... Uh, and Paul Stavely does massive murals, and they're taking some of my old classics, we're blowing them up to like 10 foot by six foot, and they're painting on the top of them. And uh, so the next exhibition that's gonna come up is gonna be unlike anything you've ever seen. Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's I think, a whole new world of potential, isn't it? When you mix media and bring different people from different walks of the artistic world together, combined powers they can often see things that you didn't yeah you know and it's really exciting when they do something you go god that's great (laughs) so my final question to you mick is this and this has been awesome man as i knew it would be and i feel like i could talk to you for hours and hours more but an hour is kind of a nice place i think to end it after um i inquire as to you mentioned Shania Twain earlier, and uh-huh. you know you've photographed some of the most beautiful women on earth in your life. Who have been some of the ones for you? You know, obviously physical beauty is important, but as we both know, when you're in a room with someone, certain people just have a chemistry and a presence and an aura about them. Who have been some of the most just spellbindingly beautiful subjects? And um, maybe they could be male too, but you know, who have yeah, been the ones for totally, you? That... I mean, uh, totally. Um... Uh, well, Shirley Manson is the sweariest girl I have ever met in my life. <laughs> I love her. I'd love to get her on this show. She's amazing. Hilarious, right? But the sweariest woman I have ever <laughs> I mean, it's just a one long bleep, right? And <laughs> she's stunning, you know, and uh, funny. And so I have a bit of a soft spot for her because I quite like sweary women. Um, other than that, Shania Twain was just exactly. She's just like in her videos. Well, it doesn't. I don't think she's making it up at all. That's just her. It's just hilarious, and she's drop dead gorgeous. I mean, yes. Um, Kylie, sweetie, just sweetie, sweetie, and um, Scary Spice had a bit of a thing for her. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Everyone had their favorite. Mine was Jerry. <laughs> Never like Jerry. Scary. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you what a life. What a life, man. And uh thank you for this. This has been really cool just to catch up really more than anything. You again. Really lovely. And I'm really I'll happy. See you the same. Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll hit you up, man, because I wasn't just saying that. I'd really love to come down and spend some time with you. And you know, I bought a camera just before COVID hit. And because, you know, there's so many situations where I've had access to all these amazing people through interviewing them. 
And, you know, I look back through all the years that I've been doing it. I think, man, if only I'd had a camera all that time, I could have taken some really incredible photos. I think some of the best photographs I've not taken are the things that allowed me to do some of the best photographs I did. Because it allowed me to be with that person, them to trust me. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I could have got some, you know, quite shocking. No, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> but because I didn't, um, I was then allowed to do the pictures I could do. Yeah. And it all comes back to people, relationships, respect, trust, which mm. some people in the industry will never get and understand. Um, but I mm-hmm. think. I think real recognizes real, and that's why so many artists have, you know, loved working with you. It's because you're the real deal, mate. Well, thank you so much, sir. I'll be seeing you soon. Nice one, Mick. Cheers, buddy. Love you. Bye. Love you too, man. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.